The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. The underlying goal of the test is to rapidly detect pathogens in the whole blood and not rely on cultures. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. Today's podcast is titled Putting the T2 Bacterial Panel into Context. The articles that uh, we will discuss are Performance of the T2 Bacterial Panel for Diagnosing Bloodstream Infections, a Diagnostic Accuracy Study, and the accompanying editorial, The Uncertain Clinical Benefit of the T2 Bacterial Panel. Both of these articles appeared in the June 18, 2019 issue of the Annals of Internal Medicine. To review these articles, we have Dr. Todd McCarty. Dr. McCarty is a colleague at the University of Alabama in Birmingham in the Division of Infectious Disease. As of the time that we recorded this, uh, he has become the fellowship director for the Infectious Disease Fellowship. He did all of his training here at UAB. He also contributed patients to this study, and his mentor is one of the authors of this study. We hope that you enjoy our conversation. Todd, thanks so much for joining us today to uh, discuss this paper about bacterial panels. And as I was reading the article in the annals, I was wondering what advantages might come from being able to have some type of a test that more quickly identifies that the infection is likely to be from this organism than just our routine blood cultures. Great. Thank you for inviting me to come on to the podcast and discuss this very interesting technology. I think the big advance that this test offers over current rapid diagnostic options are that it's not based on cultures. Currently, a lot of what is defined as a rapid diagnostic in infectious diseases is more direct testing on positive blood culture bottles, whereas this even eliminates that step and is direct testing on whole blood. So just to make sure that everybody understands, while you're not an author on this paper, your mentor, uh, Dr. Pete Pappas, is an author and that you were involved locally, at least in submitting specimens for this study. Correct. Uh, Dr. Pete Pappas helped um, design the study. Um, We were a site for conducting the clinical trial. We did enroll patients and submit specimens for this study as well as the prior studies involving their T2 Canada assay. So could you explain the concept of these panels and talk both about the bacterial panel and the uh, Canada panel that y'all were involved with? Right. So the underlying goal of the test is to rapidly detect pathogens in the whole blood and not rely on cultures. And so the way the sample works is that a whole blood specimen is collected from the patient It is loaded into the machine, and it's a closed system to decrease the potential for contamination. There are specific PCR targets for specific organisms, depending on whether you're using the bacterial panel or the Canada panel. 
Once the PCR portion of the test is complete, they then use magnetized nanoparticles to adhere to the PCR products and use T2 magnetic resonance to then detect increased quantities of those PCR products. For the bacterial panel, for this one, they detect five different species of bacteria. For the Canada panel, it's three potential results, either a paired positive result of albicans tropicalis, paired positive result of cruzii glabrata, or a single positive result with Canada parapsilosis. I'm glad you mentioned the five organisms in the bacterial panel. Do you remember what those five organisms are and why only five? So the five organisms for the bacterial panel are Enterococcus faecium, Staphylococcus aureus, Klebsiella pneumonia, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, and Escherichia coli. And these organisms comprise the vast majority of the bloodstream infections that we come across. And they occupy five of the six so-called escape pathogens. So the one that is missing is Acinetobacter. Okay. So if this was a perfect test, and no tests are perfect, so and we'll go over that in a second, this study did not study the results of giving you, the clinical infectious disease specialist, the information. It just tested whether there was a concordance between the test result and the eventual blood culture. Is that correct? That's correct. So the results were blinded to the clinical team caring for the patients. So they had no information about what happened after the test was collected. The study really just validates were the organisms present or not. There was limited information about the antibiotics that were used and the clinical outcomes to be able to say how could the test potentially impact care. If I read the article right, uh, the sensitivity and specificity were both around 90%. That does leave some room for error. And in this study, there weren't a lot of positive blood cultures. Correct. There were not a a large quantity of positive blood cultures, so there were a little over 1,400 patients included. The total blood culture positive rate was only 6%, and about half of those, 3% of the total volume, were these five organisms. Now, it looked like about one and a half percent were probably contaminants. Correct. There were several coag-negative staph and other skin flora that are unusual to cause invasive bacteremic infections. But there were another one and a half percent of other organisms that might have might and probably were important. Definitely, yes. So that means that we would only get about two-thirds of the significant bloodstream infections with these five organisms in the data that, that we collected. We don't know what would happen when this is not part of a study. The question and, and the editorial really pointed this out very clearly is we don't know what clinicians would do with this information Would this help us stop antibiotics more quickly? Would this have an effect on antibiotic stewardship? Would it lead to modifying what antibiotics we use? And this is just your opinion because we don't know because nobody's done that study. But are these the right questions to ask and what do you think the impact would be? Definitely. I think these are the right questions to ask. And I think these are the right questions to ask for any test that we order. We should always be thinking, what are we going to do with the different results? Is it going to change anything that we do? I think I can envision a few potential options for how to use this panel, but I think we have to make sure we're limiting it to the right patients. 
the organisms tested, with the exception of really Enterococcus and Pseudomonas, they tend to be more community acquired. I think it has limited utility in looking for nosocomial infections and limited utility in how do we use antibiotics in that patient population. I think its real impact is in patients coming from the community. There were some false positives. And what do you think the implications are of those false positives? So it's interesting, they, they labeled it as putative false positives because they couldn't find or necessarily identify a potential source for that particular bacteria. I have little doubt some of it was real, but when your gold standard isn't necessarily golden, and we know blood cultures across all infections have a low sensitivity, when you're comparing it against that, it's hard to figure out how do we define what is a false positive versus what is just a better sensitive test. So if we had a new test that was positive, and we've seen this with other tests, this you could even include uh, rapid strep testing in this uh, situation where we know that the blood that the throat culture is not perfect, and sometimes the rapid test picks it up and the throat culture doesn't. So let's say we get back a pseudomonas and it clinically fits, the culture never grows pseudomonas, what do you think most infectious disease specialists would do with that information? I think if the bacteria fits the clinical syndrome, we would treat it as real. If it doesn't make sense for that person to have pseudomonas or for pseudomonas to cause an infection in that location, then I think it comes back to we have to question the result. If we started using these panels, then we would have two shots at estimating what the organism was. Do you think that while we're waiting for the blood culture results to come back, a negative test or a positive test would have more influence on how we take care of the patient? I think based on volume, the negative test is in all likelihood going to have a whole lot more impact. The vast majority of tests sent were still negative. There were more positives than were blood cultures, but still most, of the, most patients had a negative result. I didn't see anything in there, and because... Part of the study was done here at UAB. Maybe you have a sense of this, but it seems like sometimes blood cultures are sent without a great clinical indication, and maybe that's why we get so many negative blood cultures that we really didn't expect a positive blood culture. Was there any clinical information about whether people really expected a positive test or positive blood culture? Or is this just whatever people ordered because of whatever routine reason they were ordering it? Right. So the hope would be that people are only ordering blood cultures and patients that they suspect are bacteremic. But in all likelihood, that's not really true. And so while it was an entry criteria that bacteremia was considered, I think it's considered just on the basis of the fact that blood cultures were ordered. And I think that's one of my big takeaways from the paper, is over 1,400 patients were enrolled and had blood cultures collected, and far less than 10% of them had a positive result. We're sending way more than we really need. We need to send more than are actually out there, because we don't want to miss somebody that's bacteremic. But at the same time, there's a lot of conditions that have a low likelihood for bacteremia, for which cultures are being ordered, and they're never going to result in a positive. Just speculating, are some of these because of uh, code sepsis and someone has an elevated lactate? There's another explanation, but once you start the ball rolling and say this could be sepsis, you have to get blood cultures? I think that's part of it. I think part of it is the code sepsis and the push for earlier identification of septic patients 
Part of that is the lack of specificity of the diagnosis of sepsis, when upwards of half of patients labeled as sepsis ended up not having any sort of bacterial infection, we know we're going to be overordering. And whether that's in the, inside the hospital issues, whether that's patients coming in through the ER, we want a more sensitive and less specific definition, but maybe we could tighten it up a little bit and sort of better define the population as well. Now, as I read, especially the editorial this would not replace anything we're already doing. So this would add some cost and add more stress on the microbiology lab. How do we take that into consideration in trying to understand the potential use of such panels? Right. So the panel is only for organism identification. It doesn't offer any susceptibility information. So it can't, in its current form, replace blood cultures or any sort of clinical culture. So it would definitely be added cost um, in hopes that it would be balanced out in improvement in antibiotic usage, whether that's narrower spectrum antibiotics or decreasing antibiotics as a whole. It would definitely add on stress to the lab, and a lot of that's going to be determined by, well, how big of a hospital is it? How restricted is the usage of the test? Um, how much capacity does the lab have to add on something extra? And so all of those answers are going to be individualized to the specific hospital, and they're all going to have to come out to their same results in a different way. The editorial really said, let's slow down and wait to see whether it has an impact on outcomes. And those outcomes can be patient outcomes, but they can also be antibiotic stewardship outcomes. Uh, does this allow us to stop antibiotics sooner? Does this allow us to narrow what do you think we will be doing with this over the next five years? I think the main role for this test is narrowing initial empiric antibiotics in patients coming from the community. Again, I think it misses too many organisms that cause nosocomial infections to really see a role for it in a code sepsis at event in a hospitalized patient. But somebody coming in from the community, if they're getting started on vancomycin and piptazo or vancomycin and cefepime, and you get either a completely negative result, or even if it's a single positive result, it should help you refine their antibiotic choice much in a much more narrow fashion. Do they even need the vancomycin? Is ceftraxone enough gram-negative treatment? They don't need something broader like cefepime or piptazo. And I think you can do that either way with even with an entirely negative result, or also with seeing some sort of a positive result. Because seeing polymicrobial bacteremic infections is unusual. So if you see a positive and it clinically fits, you should be able to say, well, that's my only organism that I really need to think about. Unless the underlying infection is one where if there's a bunch of necrosis or an abscess, that's more likely to be polymicrobial. As you know, uh, many residents and hospitals listen to this. In 2019, what should they be thinking about this type of testing and give them sort of a take-home message of how they should view this article and editorial and how they should look to this to the future? I think the look to the future is it provides a layer of reassurance that there's not some multi-drug resistant organism that's present, that people coming in with community-acquired pneumonia can be treated with community-acquired pneumonia antibiotics and not vancomyptase, that people coming in with a skin infection can be treated with normal skin infection antibiotics and not have to go to the broader route of multi-drug resistant gram-negative organisms like an ESBL, E. coli, or, or 
a pseudomonas or something like that. We should use this as reassurance. You know, it's it's okay, I think, to start broad initially when patients are sick and it's a little bit less clear what's going on. This adds a layer of information and it's something that should be reconsidered in the antibiotic choices for every patient every day. You're gaining new information every day. Their clinical status is changing, and we should use all of that information, and this can be another piece. I think in its current form, I think it's more reassurance that things that we worry about aren't there. I think the low rate of positives and the limited information you get from a positive result and the lack of susceptibility information limits the impact that that can have. Well, Todd, thank you very much. I really like the points you made. And perhaps one of the biggest things that this will do is just having the test result will make the uh, physicians taking care of the patient rethink their antibiotics. And as you have said so nicely, that's something we should be doing uh, every single day. I hope all the listeners uh, have enjoyed listening to this exciting and somewhat puzzling article about where we might go in terms of more quickly identifying bacteremia. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. This uh, article reviews a very interesting concept that is a test that quickly recognizes that one might have a bacterial infection just from testing the blood itself without culture. As Dr. McCarty points out, probably the best use of this test will be people who appear to have significant infections who come in from the community. It will have less application in nosocomial infections because the five bacteria that are included in this particular panel do not include all of the many important organisms that we see in nosocomial infections. It's important to remember that even if we do get identification, this does not uh, obviate the need for the culture and especially the sensitivity to antibiotics. In summary, I believe that this test needs more data on outcomes, and those data may be on does this impact how we use antibiotics. It may have a role in antibiotic stewardship in getting physicians to stop unnecessary antibiotics more quickly or decrease the number of antibiotics uh, when a patient has a positive test for one bacteria, we can have a situation where we don't need to have quite as broad coverage. I believe this article is still one that is exploring new concepts for quick identification of bacterial infections, and I hope you've enjoyed thinking through the possibilities as we get more and more information over the coming years. Thank you for listening. For more episodes of Annals on Call and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. The information contained in the podcast should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment.